Welcome to Your American Heritage with your host, Ed Bondarenka. Our goal is to provide a platform for a discussion of pro-life, pro-Christian, and pro-American constitutional principles in the light of current and historical events. America, bless God. And now let's join the host of Your American Heritage on Wham Talk 1600 and... And 92.7 FM, Ed Bondarenka. Thank you, Derek Stone, the myth, the man, the legend, host of Stone Cold Sports Sundays at noon 30. So good afternoon and welcome to your American Heritage, where we're talking about the two things you're not supposed to, religion and politics. Uh, Not so much religion today, although we're going to be, you know, we're a Christian country, or we were, we've been a Christian-influenced country. So, um... First, I want to let you um, know that the Wham shows are available via podcast, and you can go to whamradio.com/podcasts or just find the tab that says podcasts, and you can find all of the shows that are posted there. And um, also, you can search for this show on Google Podcasts, also the Abolitionist Roundtable, and also Moment of Clarity after this show, and uh, Sean Todd's Pastor Sean Todd's uh, The Intersection. Uh, hosted by the Rock and Rev, and uh, those are all available for a subscription on Google Google Podcasts, which is handy for me because if I miss one of them, I can just it just comes up there on my Google Podcasts page. So, uh, welcome to the original social media radio. You are free to call in at some point when it's appropriate. You may be put on hold for a while if it's inappropriate at that moment. Seven three four eight two two. 1600. I'll say that again and slower if there are any liberals listening. 734-822-1600. So let's open in prayer. Father, our nation finds itself in dire straits today. Would you please help us? Would you please protect us? Would you please protect the majority of the people in this country that did not vote for this administration? And we ask you not to hold it against us. Please help us to bring this country around back to the vision that you had for it. Amen. Well, one thing we talk about here is our heritage. It's in the title, so we're kind of like locked into that. And Tucker Carlson had something interesting to say about heritage. And I've been waiting to play this clip for a few weeks. I heard it uh, in a recording of a Turning Point rally in Florida that uh, Charlie Kirk held. And Tucker Carlson spoke there. And uh, give it a minute. In a second. Are you there, Ed? Yeah. So you're telling me that's not plain, huh? Oh, well, that's very sad. That means none of my audio clips are going to play. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to email this to Derek, and then he can play this stuff for me. That's interesting. Because I really wanted to play a part of the Trump farewell also. Um, Well, there was the inauguration. There were so many people, so many people, and most of them soldiers. Uh, Biden didn't want people at his rallies or his inauguration. Why? Because he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about people unless they're obeying him. That's all he wants is their obeyance. And... uh, I looked out the window this morning and I saw I still have my Trump flag up. So it's going to stay up a while, I think. President Trump, in my uh, estimation, is still my president. In his farewell address, he said something to the effect of, and I'm really proud that 
we started no new wars. And he is, he's one of the first presidents in many years to not start a new war. And that reminded me of an article I read a while back by a guy named General Smedley Butler. And uh, he gave a speech to this, uh, that effect also, and he made it into a book. And you can find it in a PDF, free PDF on the web if you'd like. And it's called War is a Racket. And um, General Smedley Butler wrote this in 1935. He spoke about how war is a racket. And he was a Marine general, uh, highly decorated, two-time Medal of Honor winner. And I thought if we're going to talk about him, I'd like somebody who uh, is familiar with U.S. Marine Corps history to speak to uh, who General Butler was and uh, some of the situation he found himself in when he mentioned this. And so I thought, who better than Lieutenant Colonel Howard Benjamin, USMC, retired? I've known uh, on the blogs and on the web um, Colonel Benjamin for a few years now. And uh, he writes um, very well. Uh, he's going to tell us something about himself shortly. And uh, he has two blogs he writes. Uh, one is called Old West Tales that can be seen at thoughtsfromafar.blog. And another Fixed Bayonets, which is Marine Corps history at fixedbayonetsusmc.blog. So um, I want to welcome to this show. I want to welcome to the show uh, um, Colonel Howard Benjamin. Uh, Howard, how are you today? Fine, thank you. Would you please tell us something about your background as as a U.S. Marine and uh, you know basically a bit of a career history because you have quite quite a career there. Just give us an update. Well, I uh, was one of these people that you know when I was a kid, my uh, my stepfather was a Marine, and uh, I <laughs> always wanted to become a Marine myself when I got when I got to be a big boy. Uh, and uh, and looking back, it's probably one of the few people that when they're kids, <laughs> they, they have these ideas about what they want to become. Uh, and I'm just very fortunate that I was able to do exactly what I wanted to do when I was a kid. So I uh, uh, joined the Marine Corps at a very young age. Uh, I was 17. Uh, I dropped out of school and joined the Marine Corps. And uh, I served uh, 13 years as an enlisted Marine. Um, was fortunate to be appointed as a as a warrant officer and served through Chief Warrant Officer Four, and then uh, was uh, commissioned as a first lieutenant and served to lieutenant colonel uh, at the end of uh, three decades of service. Um, well, thank you for your service. Of course, that's <laughs> obligatory these days. But no, I really mean that. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, well, I had uh, two tours in Vietnam, and uh, I had a host of um, <clears throat> of uh, staff assignments and command assignments, and uh, um, nothing extraordinary, you know. Certainly, certainly not a hero. Just uh, just took a lot of pride and pleasure in putting on the uniform and doing uh, what the United States Marine Corps expected me to do on a day-for-day -day basis. And I retired in 1992, and uh, I, I taught for uh, 15 years in public schools, and and uh, utterly frustrated with that, and 
and, and stopped. And so uh, now I pretty pretty much just write things uh, to keep my mind occupied. Well, then your mind has been uh, has been occupied. You've written quite a lot. I really enjoy your your Old West tales and your U.S. Marine Corps history uh, blog. Uh, I've, I'm kind of behind on that, but uh, I've, I have enjoyed reading about the, the heroes that serve this country that you've written about. So I appreciate that. So tell us something about Smedley Butler. How did he get his start? And then what happened to him? Well, uh, General Butler uh, was from a very prominent political family. His, uh, his grandfather uh, whose uh, name was Darlington, and he was he was named uh, Smedley Darlington Butler, so he was named that middle name was after his grandfather's uh, last name, which was a protocol back then. Uh, he was a U.S. senator, and his father uh, was a very prominent judge and attorney who later served, I believe it was 31 years in the U.S. House of Representatives, and so it was... Uh, uh, with some political background that he was able to achieve a commission in the U.S. Marine Corps in 1898. Um, and so began his career. Uh, he did serve in the Spanish-American War, but he did not serve with the 1st Marine Battalion uh, at uh, Guantanamo Bay. Uh, he served, I believe, aboard the USS New York as a ship's officer, ship's detachment officer. Um and then, of course, you know, uh, young lieutenants and young captains, and they proceed along a certain career path. Uh, and so that his early career was pretty much typical. Um, and, uh, and so his, I guess, his participation in America's wars included, uh, began with and included the Spanish-American War, the Philippine-American War. Uh, Boxer Rebellion. Which was a which was a big deal, um, and of course the Banana Wars, for which he uh, later wrote uh, "War as a Racket," um, and the uh, invasion of uh, Veracruz, and uh, it was in those two areas where he got he, he was awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, the first uh, was at Veracruz, and the second was in Haiti. Oh, that's interesting. I thought he picked one up at the Boxer Rebellion in Peking. I, I read of his, I think it was his exploits I read of there, that uh, for for those of you that don't know about the Boxer Rebellion, perhaps you've seen the movie 55 Days at Peking, which talked about the Chinese uprising against the American, uh, actually the international presence in Peking. But please continue. Well, uh, now, interesting, in, in those days, uh, during the Boxer Rebellion, um, and I don't know if it was official policy or simply, um, you know, written policy, or it was just a matter of protocol, but uh, Marine Corps officers did not receive medals for heroism. Uh, what they would receive is a brevet promotion, uh, either a brevet promotion or they would receive, which is a promotion uh, to the next higher grade without pay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they have that going for them. Um, uh, so they would either either get the brevet promotion or uh, in time what they came out with was what they called the brevet medal. And when you see the brevet medal, it looks like the Medal of Honor, only it's red with white stars instead of blue. 
and he was uh, he was awarded that. And so on his uh, um, his list of of personal decorations are two medals of honor, the Brevet Medal, uh, the Navy Distinguished Service Cross, and the Army Distinguished Service Cross. Although I believe the last two were uh, for the same action. Okay. Uh, and so uh, that's that's how they did it back in those days. Okay. So, uh, but he was awarded the, actually what you're implying is that Marines uh, don't get medals for heroism because that's just part of the job. Is that right? That's pretty much it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's very, the, I, I think they, the medals come to Marines when they clearly deserve them. But, um, you know, heroism and courage under fire and steadiness under, under dire circumstances, that's what we train Marines to do. And so they're just, I mean, you can make the argument they're just doing their job. And uh, when it, when doing their job, uh, okay, that's one thing. And then, of course, extraordinarily doing their job is when they when they get to uh, get to the point of being awarded medals. Right, right. Um, give me a second. I'm going to avoid typing here, Derek. The audio is embedded in the document. There you go, folks. I'll edit that out later for the podcast, but you get to hear it here live. So. Um, Obviously, then Smedley Butler, General Smedley Butler, was was no um, office bound, uh, promoted because of his good looks guy. This guy actually had some experience out in the field. Uh, the men he led. You and I were talking about this earlier about uh, promotion, generally through the ranks, because the men get to know the officers. That they, if if somebody comes up like yourself, a Mustang. Uh, promoted up through the ranks into the officers, officers' corps. Uh, they have more of a rapport with the men. But it seems like Smedley Butler was pretty well revered by the, the men that, that served under him and, and many who didn't. He had quite a presence um, after World War One. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Uh, he, he was an excellent leader. Uh, the Marines uh, admired his... Uh, his courage in the face of adversity, and and uh, you know, Marines will follow a leader like that. Um, um, now, to what extent he had that very same appeal with, let's say, members of the Army or the Navy, I just I don't know. Uh, but uh, he certainly was well known in his own day, and I would say maybe he would rank second uh, to Chesty Puller, who uh, who everybody just absolutely knows. Uh, and I had the the honor of meeting Chesty Puller uh, very briefly, and uh, it's it's something he just he was a he was a, a legend in real life. It was just amazing. Well, please, because now you've brought up Chesty Puller, and I've I've heard the name and I've heard some of the exploits. But for our audience, please explain a little bit about who Chesty Puller was. There are a number of them. You sent me an email. You were talking about you were talking about. Uh, there are certain men that as you were researching them, you were saying, I would much rather sit down and have a beer with this guy than say with Lincoln or uh, or Reagan. And I could see where that might be true because if I were to sit and talk with Abraham Lincoln, I wouldn't know what to talk to him about. <laughs> or the same with Reagan, you know, because I don't have that. I never was a movie actor. I, you know, and uh, I never was a president. I have not much in common with him, but you had common, stuff in common with these men. But... Tell us something about Chesty Puller then. 
Well, uh, Lewis Puller was, uh, he was, is, and was in his own time and, and certainly continues to be regarded as the Marine's Marine. And the guy was absolutely fearless. I mean, absolutely fearless. Uh, it, was, it was almost as if you, you begin to wonder perhaps if he had a death wish. Uh, he just would do the most courageous, inexplicable things. Uh, and he, he did, had absolutely no concern about his own personal safety. And, uh, uh, so one of my commanding officers, when I was uh, a lieutenant, uh, <clears throat> was a uh, was a lieutenant colonel by by the name of Stan Wozniak, and Stan Wozniak had won two Navy Cross medals, uh, and he was he was also one of these gungy guys, uh, I, and I think both of his. Navy crosses were during the Korean War. But now Stan Wozniak was in Chesty Puller's battalion or in his regiment in Korea. And he told me about this one time where they were receiving intense Chinese fire and that the ground was so frozen that they couldn't really dig any fighting holes. And so they, they used their entrenching tools and scraped out on this snow ice packed soil as best they could to get as low as they could and he said and, and you could you could just feel the bullets snapping above your head because we were getting down as low as we could to be protected but it wasn't low enough and he said he happened to look over to his right side laying in the prone position behind his rifle and he and he saw this pair of combat boots standing there just just there he didn't know who it was, but he said, well, you dumb bastard, you better, you better get down or you're going to be shot. And it was Col uh, Colonel Puller who said, there's not a communist bullet made that could kill me. And he just stood there and observed the enemy. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely fearless. But you were mentioning uh, earlier the Boxer Rebellion, and one of my favorite characters was this fellow by the name of uh, uh, John Twiggs Myers. And he was known in his own day as a young officer, as, as handsome Jack. Uh, and I've written about him on my blog. And, and the interesting thing about uh, Jack Myers is that he, he was at the, uh, the Boxer Rebellion, and he was uh, instrumental in defending uh, one section of the wall against the Chinese. Now, set uh, us up a bit here. This was an, uh, almost like a fortification, this portion of the city. And and you had these, the boxers, I mean, these they were surrounded, right? They were waiting for for uh, um, reinforcements and they were, they were under siege. Is that correct? They were, that's right. They were under siege. Uh, well, so anyway, Jack Myers uh, is one of these guys, that, as I was mentioning to you, who had a career on a similar track with, I'm sure, I'm sure he knew Butler. I mean, they all, in those days, the Marine Corps was so small that most of the officers knew all the others. And, and, uh, but Jack Myers is one of these guys, they've been two movies made about his exploits and he's just, just, you know, one of my heroes. And I would have loved to have a beer or three with him. He, he, gosh, he must've had some amazing, amazing counts. Uh, 
So the second one was, uh, there's a film called The Wind and the Lion, and it stars uh, Candace Bergen and uh, Sean Connery. And it, uh, it's, it's a Hollywood version of, of an actual event. In the movie, it's a woman who is being held captive by these Berbers. And in the, um, in the real life, it was a man, but the name was Perticaris. And it involved Theodore Roosevelt, and it involved, you know, the, you know, his bluster and and carrying the flag to the foreign shore and all this other stuff. But Handsome Jack is portrayed in this one film, uh, The Wind and the Lion, as a young captain uh, who his accompanies his admiral into the office of the ambassador, and and the ambassador says, "Well, we don't know what we're going to do about these Moroccans." In this in this film, the Marine captain pulls a cigar off the, the ambassador's desk and lights it without being asked. And and he says, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to land the Marines tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> now, to what extent that's all fantasy, I, I would I would have no way of knowing. But uh, but that was that was a story about Jack uh, John Twiggs Myers. Excellent. So. The concept of war as a racket, the way that uh, uh, General Butler portrayed it, he he portrayed himself as as having been hired muscle for corporate America at one point, and and I want to talk about that to some extent because myself personally, as when we went into Iraq, when we went into um, well, it went into Iraq the first time and the second time, both. I kind of bought the notion of we should go there. And, uh, uh, you know, that there's, uh, there's something about helping these people to be free. And I wasn't thinking in terms of, you know, us paying for oil with American blood, as it often been portrayed. Um, and yet this is something that General Butler was... Having, having gone to battle for basically United, the United Fruit Company and the Banana Wars in the Caribbean, which a few people are aware of, uh, you brought that to my attention through your blog. The question is, how, how far do we go to protect American commercial interests abroad in order to protect our economy here? I think that's that's something to be said. Uh, you and I were. I really, I'm not settled on it myself. I wanted to discuss it with you and see what you thought. Maybe if anybody else wanted to call in with a, uh, an opinion on it, 734-822-1600. Um, but um, give me your opinion on that right off the bat. Well, uh, let me let me start that by saying... Uh... Mm. We talk about it when we come back after the break. <laughs> Sorry about that, Howard. Folks, come back after the break and we'll continue our discussion. Bye. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation. Finally breaks the chains We were made to be courageous 
And now let's rejoin the host of Your American Heritage on Wham Talk 1600 and 92.7 FM, Ed Bondarenka. Thanks, Derek. And go forward, I'd like to play uh, this week's Ron Edwards notebook uh, for Ron Edwards. So here we go. In my lifetime, I have never witnessed someone not only promise to do good and achieve it, but receive so much undeserved rancor as President Donald J. Trump. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, since the day candidate Trump and Melania came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower, the left-wing cabal of politicians, media, and fake preachers sought to literally destroy Trump and his family. It wasn't because he was a Republican. No, it was much deeper than that. President Trump sought to end the worldwide multi-billion dollar human trafficking enterprise, saving thousands of boys and girls from grotesque elites waiting to brutalize them. Because of Trump's bold yet fair approach to adversary, our republicans spared from a major conflict or wars. Trump's tax policies and regulatory rollbacks enabled many to experience the blessings of economic growth and opportunities. President Trump was pro-life, and recognized our need for the Republic to seek guidance from our creator. And that's just for starters. Thank you, President Trump, for a job well done. God bless you, sir. God bless America. And may America bless God. I'm Ron Edwards. And that's critical. America bless God. You know, if we want God to bless America, America must be a blessing to God. And um, that's our prayer here. Uh, Welcome back to Your American Heritage. I'm your host, Ed Bonarenka, as Derek so uh, aptly said. And uh, joining me today is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Howard Benjamin, retired U.S. Marine Corps. And we're talking about uh, something that Ron Edwards just mentioned, the fact that we haven't uh, entered into any new wars in the last four years. And interestingly enough, there are reports that already on the day of, of Joseph Biden's inauguration as uh, as usurper um trucks a convoy of 40 trucks and helicopters have moved across the iraq border into syria so we'll see where that goes uh trump was pulling us out of syria i hate to see us getting tangled back in there again so um we were talking about before we were so rudely interrupted by the commercial break uh howard was telling us we were discussing the entanglement of, uh, uh, well, not entanglement, that sounds pretty negative, but where do we draw the line between U.S. commercial interests and defending them overseas and actually defending, you know, being the muscle for uh, corporations the way that uh, General Butler was describing it? And Howard, would you tell us how you think about that? Well, I think that, you know, I think it was uh, Andrew Carnegie who said, the business of America is business. And so, you know, certainly business and global trade is in our national interests. It, it is important to the economy. And so we can't discount that, that important. At the same time, I think that, um, you know, the American people um, are smart enough to know that when the government says, well, in answer to the question, why are we in Afghanistan? And then the response from government spokesman is, well, it's in our natural interest, natural interests. It's kind of a, a shoulder shrugging moment. Well, what are our national interests in Afghanistan? 
It can't be nation building because they've never had a nation to begin with. So why are we there? And of course, Mrs. Bush explained it to us as to, to protect the women from, <laughs> from Islam. Uh, okay, well, uh, that may be true as well. But, you know, so again, what is our national interest? Um, and I think it would be fine if, uh, if, if a government spokesman just for once leveled with the American people and said, all right, we're going to do this, whatever this is, and these are our national interests. And if that happens to be protecting Iraqi oil for American consumption, fine, say that. And everybody will say, all right, okay, I can understand why that would be in, in our national interest. And so by simply saying, well, it's in our national interest and then dropping it, then people begin to invent all kinds of machinations about what this is really all about. It, it divides America, and what government should be doing is uniting America. Um, now, of course, in, in General Butler's day, uh, he was engaged in Haiti. Uh, I don't think they grow bananas there, but maybe they do. Uh, it was... It was a little bit more complicated than protecting United Fruit in Haiti. It was it was other things. It was that the, the government of Haiti had borrowed a considerable sum of money to get itself squared away. And, of course, Haiti has never had an honest government anyway. And so whoever was in power basically helped themselves to, the, to these monies that were extended through loans and then refused to pay them back. And it was that sort of thing. And so the Marines went in to seize the custom house. Um, and and to recoup its losses on behalf of the banks that loaned the money. So I suppose there could be an argument that this was, uh, you know, all about, you know, shoring up American banks. Um, but I think it was equal uh, to the task of, okay, American banks loan these people money and they're not paying it back, so what do you do? And that's, that's what they, the the thing in Haiti was about and, and pretty much uh, over in the Dominican Republic as well. Uh, an interesting uh, General Butler, when he was serving on active duty, was, well, uh, referred to by his contemporaries, senior officers, as being somewhat unreliable. That's their term, not mine, but he was I don't really know what that means other than perhaps he was uh, kind of a bull in a china shop and he spoke his mind and he didn't really care who was present. Um, the, um, the thing about Butler in his post-Marine Corps career, however, in, in bringing up this whole thing about wars racket, it, it would be disingenuous if I didn't mention the fact that at the time he brought this up, he was running for political office. And so, um, and so I don't know to what extent this, you know, his, his Quakerism took over his post-Marine Corps life and, and he began talking about the war as a, a racket. And it sort of began as a defense of the bonus army. And, and well, I understand that completely. It sort of shifted away from the bonus army into war as a racket and his own political career and retirement. Of course, he, he didn't receive a, he, did, he didn't get to the Senate, uh, nor even to the U.S. House, but, uh, but it sure made a name for himself nationwide. 
In that document, though, he says a number of things, and you and I discussed this offline. We do have a couple callers, Joe and Daniel, and we'll get to you shortly. Um, he lists off a number of, of manufacturers that did extremely well during World War One, during the carnage in the trenches. Um, and companies that came in that had been doing annual profits of a million came out doing 10 million. And, and so the war was very profitable to them, you know, leather manufacturers, armaments, uh, yeah, meat packing companies, anybody that would supply the army came out very well. I remember along these lines, actually you and I were talking about uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson in Vietnam and uh, his wife, well, tell us about tell us about Lady Bird uh, Johnson's uh, financial holdings. Well, I don't know. I don't have her financial statement. Well, but, but in general, uh, she was a major uh, stockholder in Lansing, which you know, today is Maersk. Uh, and of course, they got the pro they got the contract for shipping goods and materials to uh, Vietnam, and so there was considerable amount of money to be made in that. And uh, Johnson was smart enough to dis dissociate himself officially from that transaction, but it all went into his the family's <laughs> coffers. Um, yeah. So many, so many, unlike yourself, so many, you're not a general officer, but so many retired general officers end up on the board of, of def what we call defense contractors. For instance, um, uh, the new SecDef, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, General Lloyd Austin, uh, he just came off of the board of Raytheon and uh, actually a private equity company, I believe, uh, that he was a partner in. I mean, uh, it's like, wow, that's that's really interesting. How do you go from being a, a, a general staff officer to uh, equity partner, you know, uh, uh, that's that's quite a step. And then, of course, like, like we were talking about, a lot of them make the uh, armaments companies and then Consequently, they're on the board. If they want to attain that board, then they've got to be pro-national defense contractor before they retire if they hope to get that, that golden ring of that board of directors seat, right? Right, and it doesn't hurt Raytheon Company to have a four-star general, retired four-star general on their staff because he knows people and he's made contacts in his career and it's opened doors and, and making deals and access to members of of the Congress and it, yeah, it's crony capitalism and it's worst. You know what, speaking of Raytheon, and I'm not focusing just on Raytheon, but I believe they make our cruise missiles. And um, I could be wrong, but whoever makes the cruise missiles, every time we decide to throw a slew of cruise missiles at somebody, I get the impression we're just clearing inventory so that we can make more, to be honest with you. We got to get rid of those 20-year-old cruise missiles and, and you know, get the newest and latest. And uh, by the way, there's a buck to be made. Absolutely. War profiteering is not new to this country. It, it, it's been going on since the Civil War and maybe even before that. Uh, but, you know, you can make a good argument for why if uh, we needed machine guns, why we shouldn't pay Browning Arms Corporation for their for their machine guns. I don't think they were price gouging us necessarily, but they certainly increased the volume of their sales and and, uh, and made a profit. And that's what businesses do. Uh, at the same time, these, these uh, Browning Arms manufacturer hired people to make their guns and and uh, and so they were contributing to the economy. Um, 
it's just I don't know where to draw the line. Um, uh, such as more recently, the president of the United States and canceling the XL pipeline. But, you know, I'm thinking maybe around 70,000 people ought to work in the in, in his first day. <clears throat> but then open the door for Warren Buffett to to profit because the oil is going to have to come down somehow. And so we'll just use railroad cars and he owns those. And so, yeah. Yeah, this, they're so reliable too. You know, there's, they never spill as opposed to the pipelines, you know, which which leak a gallons a day, I understand. So, well, let's take a call from Joe from Wyandotte and see uh, if he has a comment or a question and he can keep it brief. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, I think I can lead your guests somewhere here with this. But they'll cry for the last, what, 50, 75 years, whatever, is no blood for oil. And for the moron libtards in Ann Arbor, they're listening. A lot of your products you use today depend upon petroleum for their existence. So it's not just about quarts of oil or gas for your tank and your car. And, of course, Trump made us independent and Biden wants to make us redependent, which again then makes it more likely for blood for oil. And people don't understand this goes back to the USMC from the shores of Montezuma, or halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, clueless of the Tripoli wars dealing with the commerce subject you're talking about, and our very founding. It wasn't just about the tax on tea. It was the British protecting, trying to protect a monopoly of one particular tea company. And I'll let you react. Take care. Love you, brothers. God bless. All right, Joe. Thank you. Howard, anything to say on that? And actually, I was hoping we could talk about the Barbary pirates, about where the term uh, uh, um, leatherneck came from. I was talking to my son about it earlier this week, and I said there's quite the story he should be be aware of, of uh, some of the exploits during, during the Barbary Wars. But I don't think we can do that today. So perhaps another time. But do you want to comment to what Joe had to say about oil? No, I absolutely agree. Because, like I said, I know it goes back to the Civil War, and it does make sense that you know, the Barbary pilots were were seizing our ships and taking our stores and impressing our sailors and enslaving our, our crews, and somebody had to do something about it. And so, again, it was motivated by the economic aspect of it. But to some degree, it was actually protecting citizens of the United States who were abroad doing business. I mean, it wasn't protecting the business aspect so much, you could say, as it was protecting the citizenry and their right to to project their uh, their business abroad is that is that a fine line? Well, I think it, yeah, it might be a fine line. I I just uh, you know recall in my reading, and I did I think I did some some research on this the, the Barbary Wars. Um, the United States, if it, if it intends to be recognized as a as a potentially great country, cannot allow its ships to be taken by Muslim. Pirates. Something had to be done about it. Exactly. And so something was done about it. Yeah. So that was definitely national interest and not, you know, a, a national corporation's interest being served. So but we yeah, have to, I think it's important to say this, as I think the caller was indica indicating, is that it's sometimes very difficult to separate the two. If the business of America is business, then we need to protect our business. It's sort of like the lifeblood of our country. Um, 
And uh, what do we do? Cut off our nose to spite our face and go on oil rationing because we're not willing to to um, preserve and protect our access to oil. I mean, it just that doesn't make any sense either. Well, that's true. Uh, Dan from Heartland has a comment he'd like to make. Uh, Derek, could you put Dan on, please? Hold on. Okay, let's kill that because that sounds like we're listening to ourselves back again. So perhaps Dan can call back when he has a better connection. That was interesting. I've never heard that before. So uh, Derek, could you put Gary on from, from Tucson? Uh, I'm in the habit of saying Hazel Park and it's now Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Gary. Hey, how you doing, Ed? How you doing, General? Fine. You know, uh, you, you can trace back a uh, war in general for uh, commerce all the way back to like the Punic Wars and a lot of the wars took place in the Mediterranean for the trade routes. And even though the whole world was available to Rome and Carthage, they still decided to fight. You know, and more recently, the corrupt brothers would supply both sides of each uh, conflict because they're arms dealers, and that was commerce. So absolutely wars fought over commerce and uh, the blood for oil and all that other kind of good stuff. So uh, thanks. Uh, you had a great show, Ed. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I do like that movie uh, about uh, Pentecost, you know, Wind and Lion. And I did know it was based on fact. And it's really about how the guy um, made friends with his enemy. And it was really a, a great story. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for that insight. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know, well, a good show is made by good guests. So that's what I strive for here. And I, I think I've got a good one today. Um, Let's see, we have a few more minutes left. Folks, if you have any questions, that's 734-822-1600 for uh, uh, retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel Howard Benjamin. And um, let's see. So obviously there are, I think the, the, the distinction to be made here is that we don't want to be starting wars just to expend ammunition and just to consume resources so that you know, arms manufacturers and, you know, suppliers to the military can clear their inventory. Uh, and yet there's nothing wrong with us projecting force into South China Sea to protect our, our commerce in, in Southeast Asia. It'd be nice if we didn't rely so much on Southeast Asia for our manufacturing, but that's what we do. And we have the right to do that, to trade with our trading partners there. Um, so... How does that fit into the mix? Well, again, I think uh, uh, I don't know of any combat soldiers that enjoy war. None. Uh, war is horrible. Uh, it is. It is the human crucible. Uh, but now, sometimes it's, it's important to to confront evil or bad doers or people that would harm our, our country, our economy, our people. I, I just think that the government ought to be forthright with with the American people. If they're asking uh, the American people to support a armed confrontation, just tell us what what our national interests are specifically. We can we can handle the truth. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a line from Tom Cruise. Uh, he was portraying a Marine officer. You want the truth? You you can handle the truth. That's what he said, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Derek, let's give Dan one more shot, okay? Yes, I'm here. Dan, are you there? Yes, can you hear me, please? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you got to remember what Eisenhower said. Uh, you know, beware of the military complex. You know, but uh, uh, you know the problem is, is that a lot of your people that are in the political realm uh, are towards. You know, they have like twenty five, thirty years in. And they see everybody else taking the big bribe and everything and uh, getting involved in a lot of things. And they figure, well, you know, I've been Mr. Perfect all my life. Why shouldn't I take a little bit? I've only got maybe 10 or 15 years of life left. You know, I suppose that's why we have term limits. But, you know, the thing I'm concerned with is that uh, I think what, you know, I listen to Mike Savage. Of course, you know, he's been censored. You can only get him on podcasts apparently now. And, of course, Alex Jones, but whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, and uh, there's a few others I listen to, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a Republican, but I'm more like uh, Mark Levin. I like to be more of a constitutionalist, you know, and I think that's where we got into trouble. Uh, you know, but you have all these different agendas like Agenda 21 in California and everything else. But the biggest problem is, is that uh, uh, you have a low information, uh, you know, population. And I think the Republicans need to react and like Newsmax TV and start getting the word out there to where uh, they can get a hold of some of the media uh, and start uh, explaining to the people what's really going on, you know. And I mean, okay. I think Trump should Thanks have for calling. I appreciate on it. Revamping the voting system uh, two years ago. But okay, thanks for calling in, Dan. Appreciate that. But uh, we want to stay on topic here right now about uh, about you know, obviously, uh, constitutional uh, republic will be responsive to, you know, the people that vote its legislatures in. And uh, hopefully those representatives will be responsive and not get us into uh, foreign entanglements just to line their own pockets. I'd, I'd hate to think that a guy would would be in office for 10, 15, 20 years as a moral person, see his retirement facing and then throw his morals out the window just to get a few bucks for retirement. But uh, I assume it could happen. So, um, Howard? Thank you for calling in or for, for joining us. I'm sorry uh, for joining us live here. Appreciate uh, what you had to say. And, and actually, as a, as a history lesson, perhaps we can have you back on soon to talk about the Barbary Pirates and some of the exploits there without getting into the political considerations of it. More of a history lesson. I, I wonder if you're up for that. Be happy to. Yeah. Okay, that's great. A highly informed person on uh, um, history in general and Frankly, the uh, Marine Corps history is is uh, is a uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Howard Benjamin. Uh, like I said, you can find his uh, his blogs at uh, Old West Tales, which is uh, the URL is Thoughts from Afar blog, and then Fixed Bayonets, the Marine Corps history. Um, so there's the music. Uh, once again, folks, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week, and keep the nation in prayer. Uh, we are in dire straits under this administration, but we can't give up. Uh, Benjamin, what's your sign-off? Uh, back home on your shields or uh, back home with your shield or back home on your shield? Uh, either uh, on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the shield or on the shield. Yeah, well, we can't quit. Thanks a lot. Derek, thanks for producing. Folks, see you next week.